podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on Barca Talk, we have injury news starring Usman Dembele, a community segment. One listener asks, is La Masia all it's cracked up to be? We'll keep you in touch with Barca B and Femini and review the first team, the loss to Espanyol, killer goals in Betis, and scouting reports on the second leg match with Espanyol and Alaves in the league. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here. With me as always is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kules, welcome to episode 62. Uh, how's it going over there in Buffalo? Dude, it's warming up. I mean, it's probably short-lived and temporary, but last couple of days we've had some sun. The snow has been melting. Megan and I actually went for a walk on the sidewalk the other day, and it was comfortable. It was tolerable. It's tolerable. That is really good for Buffalo at this time of year. Nice. And we were just talking briefly. It's the same here uh, in Madrid. You know, the sun is shining here. It's not too cold. And, yeah, you know, it's it's almost like a teaser. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, we've been here. <laughs> like, it's been super cold here. Um, and everyone's ready for terrace weather and Kanye weather, which is the small beers here. But, you know, I just think it's a little bit short-lived. I think it's a little teaser. Yeah, it's just the prelude to spring. Exactly. You know, all my friends today were saying, spring is coming, question mark? You know, like the Game of Thrones stuff. And I'm like, yes, it's coming. It comes after February, right? Like, that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it always comes. <laughs> that's, that you're, you're, not, you're not giving any hot takes here. Correct. No hot takes yet. You know, no <laughs> hot takes. But, um, yeah, let's get into the Ronaldinho discussion because... You know, this week he announced his official, official retirement uh, from world football. And I have a lot of thoughts about this because, you know, he was one of my favorite players uh, coming through. I think he's one of the first YouTube players, you know, from the YouTube generation where, you know, when YouTube kind of became, started to become very popular with sports highlights, he was kind of one of those first marquee world football players. Oh, yeah. So, like, he was, like, at his height right at the time that YouTube was really breaking and things like these highlight cuts and everything were, were taken off. Exactly. And I don't know for you, but when I think of Ronaldinho, it just puts a smile to my face. Like, you know, just the, I mean, he was, he was like the Brazilian player 2.0, you know, he had all the flair, the style that the typical Brazilian player has, but then he also brought the physicality. Right. And he was just, you know, a superstar player that could have been, you know what I'm saying? I know he reached the heights of being a Ballon d'Or winner, but I feel like there was so much potential that was just left. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot about him, that he, uh, that, you know, towards the end, it didn't have to be his end. If, if he had just kept up his work rate, like in the off season and just, you know, week to week, really kept his work rate up, he, he could have had more longevity at the, the level that he was at. But I guess he just, I don't know, he got got tired of it or something well it's interesting you know like I was you know we were doing our pre-work here and I was just I just think of all the things that Ronaldinho kind of means to me and you know for me the first time I saw him was in the 2002 World Cup that's when I really uh, noticed him when he scored that ridiculous free kick against England in the quarterfinals and I also remember that time because 
the World Cup games were being played in Asia, right? They were being played in Korea and Japan. And so the times West Coast were absolutely brutal. But I, I watch every World Cup game because I love the World Cup. But if you watch that free kick again, that thing is just a thing of beauty because it looks like he's going to cross it, but the ball just kind of carries through. And like we talked about in the last couple of weeks, top left corner. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> top left corner. It's yeah. unreal. Well, I think any any shot that long is going to look like a cross. Until you realize it's not. Exactly. And Seaman, the goalkeeper, like, he totally thought it was going to be a cross. So he comes out. Then he just kind of realizes, like, oh, no, it's not a cross. Good God. And then he, like, backpedals and, like, basically falls into the net, you know. And, yeah. So, I, you know, I was, you know, the past couple days I've been going in a deep dive of Ronaldinho highlights and YouTube. And it's just, there's so much good stuff out there. I mean, it's, like I said, I think he's one of the first kind of breakout YouTube soccer, you know, soccer stars. So, you know, well, yeah, I mean, he had incredible moves and the time was right in in terms of media for him to just light up YouTube. Not only was he an important player, you know, stylistically, but he was also important to Barcelona's history. You know, when he first signed, it was a really bad moment in our history. We hadn't really won anything. We were really inconsistent. And, uh, you know, when we signed him, that was the first step into what we are still enjoying this kind of era of titles and being consistent, having the Pep era. Ronaldinho was the first huge signing to get, you know, to bring us over that line. And, you know, he's so important to the to the Barca history. Well, what's really funny about that is because uh, we have a couple of documentaries that we're going to uh, recommend in just a minute. One of them is FC Barcelona Confidential. And that's the one of the three that I've seen. And in that, you learn about how right at this uh, 2002, or in 2003, going into the 2003 season, they picked up Ronaldinho. But uh, Juan Laporta, that was when he came in as president, and he ran on a campaign of a promise to bring David Beckham to Barcelona. And of course, Beckham went to Real Madrid. And instead, they got Ronaldinho. And, I mean, David Beckham is a great player still to this day. He's still doing amazing things uh wherever he's playing i think it's the galaxy but uh can you imagine if we'd have gotten beckham instead of ronaldinho i feel like that it's just not the right fit exactly it's not the right fit and you know what like you said that documentary is amazing and it's it's i was just watching it this morning before we were recording just as the background just to kind of remember that moment it's incredible to me that Laporta knew how important that summer was that he decided to let camera crews record the whole season you know, and up that signing of Ronaldinho, he knew how important it was. And that documentary is amazing because you just see the the ups and downs of the behind the scenes of being a board member, of trying to make these signings. You know, I just love how they do the signing of Ronaldinho. You know, he's there in the office. They're adjusting the contracts and they're just eight hours of contract negotiations, you know. And finally they get it signed and they celebrate and they pick Ronaldinho up and because – they knew how important he was to the future of Barcelona. And, you know, he was, I mean, I can't imagine Beckham. He wouldn't have fit Barca's style at all. No, and I, you know, he's still a great player. You know, he's someone that you'd, you'd want to look at and you want to have. But also Beckham was this big superstar at the time. So Laporta was thinking not just in terms of winning and having quality players, but also he was thinking about branding. And then he didn't get Beckham. And I think he was lucky to not get Beckham and get Ronaldinho instead because Ronaldinho, he's like our talisman, you know, from of this whole era, like you said. Exactly. And, you know, what yesterday when I was watching these videos, it just made me like 
It made me super happy, happy like a panda, you know, like a panda eating bamboo, you know, like I just, <laughs> I just love, I love watching his highlights. Like it just, it's, again, it's just one of those moments that I remember fondly in Barca's history, watching his Nike commercials, watching him go through Real Madrid and getting the applause, watching him play ping pong on the goalpost and that Nike, com- I mean, all these things put a smile to my face. Unfortunately, the end could have been better. I, you know, like we said, I have two other documentaries that people can watch. The first one is when Barca got their smile back. It kind of documents it when Ronaldinho got signed and how that helped, you know, propel Barcelona got forward. But the really the the good one, unfortunately, it's in Spanish, and I was testing it out with the English subtitles, and it's good enough. Is um, there's a documentary here in Spain called uh, La Abdicación de un Rey. So it's kind of like the dethroning of a king, right? And it just documents his last two years in Barcelona and what really happened. And ultimately what happened is, you know, he got to the top. He got kind of lazy. He didn't uh, work as hard as he used to. He partied a lot. And most importantly, he was all by himself, you know, all by himself in Barcelona. He was he had a really strong support system at the beginning with his mother and his brother. But eventually it was just him by himself in Barcelona. And I think that at that aided him to his ultimate downfall and his ultimate dethroning of the king. Yeah, okay. That sounds like a really good one. I want to check that out because I I keep wondering, like I see, I read things here and there, but it's not totally clear to me as to what really happened with him. So I would definitely want to check that out. In the documentary, there's a good story about on Christmas, how a tree fell on his house, basically, and he was trapped and he had no way of getting out of the house. And so he calls the police and the fire department and they come out. They take pictures of him. And the fire people noticed that he was by himself on Christmas. You know, so it's just kind of, so yeah, sad. it's just like these things that just kind of, you know, you kind of put two and two together. And you're just like, man, if, if you know, more players would have reached out to him to be more family and so forth, maybe it could have changed the history of Ronaldinho's career. But ultimately, when Pep came, he knew he wanted to get rid of Ronaldinho because of his work ethic and... He ultimately thought he was going to be a bad influence on Messi. And so Ronaldinho was shipped to AC Milan. Yeah. And I remember the first the first uh, FC Barcelona game I watched really was in 2010. And it was the Gamper Trophy. <laughs> you know, that, that fun match they play. And they were playing AC Milan when Ronaldinho was still playing, at, playing there. And Puyol invited him over to sit in on the team picture, the Barcelona team picture. I thought that was a great gesture. Yeah, and it's really cool. If you watch the beginning of that, they did a video tribute. He almost started crying. He comes in. They gave him a really nice standing ovation. Again, he, you know, I think those last three years, he was injured a lot. He was overweight. You know, I just think that, you know, I think the, not the board, but I think, you know, maybe the coaching staff or some other players should have really noticed you know, what was going on with Ronaldinho maybe helped him out a little bit because I feel like he just became, you know, by himself and kind of withdrew from the team. And that just ultimately uh, led to his poor performances. And then he got shipped to AC Milan. Well, I do like that they um, that they honored him and that even though he, you know, he lost he lost himself or something happened and he just started to to fall. Even though that happened, I, I appreciate that the club still recognized his importance. Like you've been to the Camp Nou experience, is there a is there a Ronaldinho corner exhibit thing 
at the Camp New experience? Yeah, there definitely is. And not only that, but like you can watch the video highlights from each season. So you can definitely highlight the player or the team. And so Ronaldinho definitely has a lot of highlights. They have his shoes there. It's, you know, he's definitely highlighted as an important player in Barca's history for sure. Oh, that's really cool. When was the last time you went to Barcelona to see a game? You know, maybe you still haven't made that pilgrimage. Well, we here at Barca Talk have teamed up with XL Sports Tours, and they've put together a fantastic tour package for the Valencia match at the Camp Nou this April. It's a five-day getaway to Barcelona. You'll be staying at a four-star hotel. You get a tour of the Camp Nou experience, watch the Valencia match, and after the game, we'll have our first-ever Barca Talk live show hosted by the incomparable Gabriel. And you'll have plenty of time on your own to explore that beautiful city, the sights, the food, whatever you want. We'll have a bilingual tour guide on hand the entire time to help out, make recommendations, and make sure you're having the time of your life. Brian, I'm super excited for this trip. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for Kool-Aids, who have always wanted to see a match at the Camp Nou, do the museum tour, and of course, visit the great city of Barcelona. Though the package doesn't include flights to Barcelona, I do have some low-cost airline recommendations, and those are two. Uh, The first one is Level by Iberia. And the second is Norwegian Airlines, and both fly from major U.S. cities, and you can definitely get a good price there. Now, XL Sports Tours has put together a great itinerary, and they also offer various payment options so that you can join me in Barcelona. Um, Also, if you have any questions or doubts, um, you could definitely contact the people at XL, and they'll be able to answer any of your questions. And of course, Brian, I'm sad that you will not be able to attend this trip. But hopefully this will be the first of many pilgrimages to the Camp Nou. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be the first of many. And yeah, it's unfortunate because we put this together sort of not last minute, but we've put it together very quickly over the last couple few weeks. And uh, the people at XL Sports are fantastic. We've been talking with them a little bit. They're great to work with. So um, yeah, it just came together in such a way that I can't get away from my uh, my doctor school at that time to go to the match. But uh, I do wish I were there. But in the future, we absolutely plan on doing these things in the future. I'll be on one of those tours another time. But in order to do this, to sign up for this tour package, just go to barsatalk.net and you'll see a link. It'll be clear as day. Uh, You'll see a link to sign up for this awesome tour package right on the front page of the website. Once you click on that link, you'll have to enter a password. And that password is BT18. That's BT18. B is in Barca, T is in Talk, 18 to register for the tour. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And again, yeah, I am sad that I can't be there this time around. I have obligations here at home that week and can't make it out to Barcelona. But that doesn't mean that you all shouldn't go. Yeah, and I also am very excited for our very first live kind of recording. I think that's going to be really fun. Right now, we're planning to do it right after the Valencia match, hopefully at some bar or something like that. And I think that'll be a really great opportunity for you know the Kool-Aids that come on the trip. And also, we'll be able to Skype with you at the same time. So I think it'll be a really kind of unique episode. And as well, you know, the Valencia match is going to be an important match because Valencia is in third place in the table. And also, you know, we're going to be able to probably sit together as a group and I think that's really cool as well because we'll be able to represent um, almost kind of like our own Pena but we'll be representing Barca Talk podcast. That's right. So go to barsatalk.net. Again, click on the link. The password is BT18. Sign up for that tour. It's going to be awesome. 
All right, so let's get into the news. Uh, so Dembele was injured again uh, after the comeback in the Anoeta. He had a problem with his left hamstring, and it was confirmed that the semitendinous muscle is busted. Uh, luckily, this is not affecting the area that he had his surgery on, and he'll only be out for about three to four weeks. I have here in the notes here, you know, when you have a serious injury like that, you tend to overcompensate your other leg. So, you know, he overcompensated, he gets injured on the other leg, and, you know, it just makes him injured for a longer period of time. Now, hopefully, he'll be able to recover. Again, with our depth now, we don't have to push him to the starting lineup as quick. But again, with these muscle injuries, you know, every person's different. Every person heals at a different rate. And depending on the load, you know, I'm just... I'm kind of concerned a little bit because of his recovery. I just hope that the medical staff are really taking care of him and not pushing him out too early. Well, Valverde, uh, in reference to Coutinho's current injury, you know, he said that, you know, we're not trying to push him. He'll be ready when he's ready. And it seems like, at least publicly, they have an attitude of, you know, let's make sure they recover properly, make sure they recover well. We're not looking to push anybody onto the field who's not ready. So I hope that they're applying that same you know, that same principle to Dembele. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, the team as a whole hasn't had much muscle injuries. You know, not everyone is having hamstring issues. So you can't really point the finger to the medical staff, you know, with that. Usually sometimes you can kind of say, okay, the medical staff needs to change their approach. But again, it's just we want we want Dembele to come back healthy. We're, I mean, more than anything, we're just excited to see him. So we want to see him sooner than later. You know, that's for me selfishly. I want him to be out there, especially after the last match in Celta where he was doing all the moves. I want to see those moves. You know, I want to see those moves on moves. Exactly. He's just so fun to watch and I miss seeing him. But, you know, if he's hobbled, it's not going to be as entertaining. So it's better that he's at full strength, fully recovered, ready to go. Wait until then. Exactly. And the other thing we have, you know, he's so young. We have him for so long. We don't need to rush him this season. You know, we already have La Liga. We're going to be vying for Champions League. Let's just, you know, make sure he's 100%, get him back, and hopefully he won't have any further injury issues going forward. Yeah, well, speaking of young, on the older side, Iniesta is injured as well. He's having or had a problem with his right calf. It seems like he always has problems with his calves. But uh, the club's official statement on it was unclear on the severity of the injury, although uh, you know he was left off the squad for Sunday with it. Exactly. This is just another muscle injury. You know, rest, ice, heat, you know, repeat. I mean, this is all you can do, right, especially at his age. You know, maybe have some uh, extra strength Ben Gay on those calves too, you know, a little, <laughs> little muscle uh, comfort there. But, uh, yeah, I mean – all you can do right now is just wait and see, and hopefully, you know, the most important for Iniesta is to come back for the Champions League matches. I think that's what we really need him. So for me to have him rested or not playing these Copa games and La Liga games, I'm okay with that, but we need to have him 100% for the Champions League run that's coming up. Yeah, especially this tie with Chelsea that's coming up. That's going to be big, and I think we're really going to need him. But no matter what his age, he's always had some uh, some muscle issues. Exactly. I don't know if, you know, it's just kind of precautionary, and especially since we don't need to have him out there as much, that we can afford to sit him more this season than we have in the past. You know, maybe before he would push himself, to, you know, to play, but now that we have some more strength and we already have La Liga wrapped up, basically, like we don't need to use him as often. Yeah, and where, where Lucho's idea was to sub in Iniesta and save him that way, 
Valverde's plan is more he's looking to start Iniesta, but he wants to start him when he's when he's healthy and rested. Yeah, I think it's a good plan. You know, you get your legs, your minutes starting and getting subbed out. And I think that's a good plan. And also he's not playing as much as he is last year. So, you know, hopefully we're saving his legs. Like I said, the most important thing is that Champions League run. He is the difference maker against a team like Chelsea you know his magic his moment of brilliance his passing his ability to possess that's what we're going to need against Chelsea to advance through yeah and his composure exactly he's composed you know he's he's just a he's that wily veteran now you know he's gone through everything he's won everything nothing phases him and when he's on the pitch it it eases the rest of the team you know especially Messi he feels so much more comfortable when he's there because he doesn't have to come back as much and it gives the rest of the team so much more confidence yeah now also on the injury list as i mentioned we got Coutinho Paco is still injured and now Mascherano is is also injured again uh of course we are waiting for we're expecting Mascherano to be uh, leaving the club soon. But in any case, he is still on the injured list. I mean, this is what happens, right? We have such a big team. We play so many matches. This is just part of the the cycle of the season. You know, we have so many injuries. And it's the way you manage those injuries and the way you have the depth. And Val Green has done that brilliantly the first half of the season. We're going to get Coutinho back sooner. Paco should be back, and that's just going to give us more depth, you know. And Umtiti is back as well. I just saw today on Twitter that he traveled with the team to Sevilla. So that's really exciting to see him. Again, you know, it's just all about management of injuries, the team, the depth. I mean, we have so many more games than we're playing. I mean, if you compare our schedule to, for example, Levante, I mean, <laughs> it's just the minutes, the the travel. I mean, we just, you know, we're tripling what they do so again it's just part of the of the season yeah and i feel like we're really starting to miss paco at this point and having to wait to see coutinho in action is uh is a bummer but you know we look forward to it it'll happen eventually but uh as far as you know players in front of goal i feel like we've been missing paco since he's been since he's been gone (laughs) since you've been gone (laughs) so yeah i (laughs) so yeah i've been missing your goals (laughs) I mean, I think, like, for example, the Espanol game, I think Paco would have been a difference maker, you know, being up there, especially if he would have been, you know, a, a bigger threat and we wouldn't have to use Suarez maybe in that match. But, yeah, I, I definitely agree missing Paco, especially on the scoring run he was on, you know, just to have his goals and his presence, I think would have definitely helped, especially in the match um, in the Copa del Rey matches against Celta and against Espanol. Yeah, now that's. That's where we're at with injuries. Uh, let's talk about some contracts because we are still in that transfer window, although this next item doesn't actually pertain to that. This could have happened at any moment. But this past week, both Gerard Piquet and Sergi Roberto renewed their contracts. They have both signed on with the club until 2022. Both have buyout clauses of 500 million euros. Uh, the only difference, apparently, is that uh, you know PK is five years older than Sergi. Yeah, I mean, again, this just adds to the Hall of Fame transfer window by the board, right? I mean, how do you feel about Sergi now, right? He's your heart will go on, Brian. Your heart will go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking off into the distance. You know, it's it's sunset, and what do I see cresting on the horizon? Sergio Roberto's blue eyes. Exactly. He just like the sun, like the baby in the sun in the Teletubbies. Exactly. He's holding you in the front of the Titanic, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, someone has to Photoshop that. 
Yeah, I mean, it won't be me though. <laughs> the board is finally starting to learn about these buyout clauses, right? They they've added some super high buyout clauses to all our recent signings, which is really important because after the Neymar saga, you know, if you want to pay for those players, we're going to get rich. That's essentially what's happening. Yeah, and you're going to have to sell all your other players to do it. Exactly, and this is just really good uh, contract negotiations by the board to sign these two important players again, PK. Super important. He's going to phase out his career. He's, you know, he's he's having a great season. And I wouldn't say great season, good season this year. Um, he's just he's going to basically mentor Yeri Mina and TT. And again, your boy Sergio Roberto just shows how important he is. I just hope that he gets more midfield playing time. But again, Barca knows how important he is to the future. And your boy is staying on till 2022. Yeah, he is. And it's that's really good because you know, we. I feel like every time we mention Sergio Roberto, we talk about this, you know, right back versus midfield debate, you know. And that's the thing. Everyone knows that Sergio Roberto really should be playing probably in midfield. And, you know, maybe – and Nelson Semedo should probably be more the right back. But I think – I do think that Sergio Roberto has shown a lot of maturity. His defending has gotten a lot better. And he's actually maybe supplying uh, some good instruction for Semedo. And it just looks like that transition. It's like you now that he signed this contract, you know that it's going to happen. You know that Sergio Roberto is going to be a midfield starter next year or the year after. But it's going to just be a slower process than we hope. He's going to phase out of playing right back and into anchoring that midfield. Because when you see him when he's starting at midfield in those like early round Copa games, he's he's the man. He reminds me, I don't want to jinx anything, but he does remind me sort of of my main, main man of all time, Chavi. No, I can see that. And the thing is, again, Val Green knows he just has to put him on the field because he's that important, right? So playing him at right back, you sacrifice you know, the speed that Semedo brings and the toughness, but he brings so many other intangibles to the table that you have to have him on the field. And I, I de- my personal belief is that, you know, when Rakitic's uh, contract kind of gets to the end or where he's not going to be playing, I think Sergio Roberto is eventually going to take over that position. And especially at this price that they're getting him in, you can tell that he's going to be the starting midfield. I mean, I could see the midfield of, you know, Coutinho, Busquets, Sergio Roberto. Oh, baby. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Killer. Now, okay, so another player who is definitely not coming to Barcelona is Antoine Griezmann. I thought this was so funny. You know, there are always rumors, and this is not a new one, that Barca might take Griezmann from Atletico. And usually there's little or no response from a club when these rumors are flying, because it's normal. But this past week, the club felt that it was important to issue a formal statement making it clear that it, quote, strongly denies the information linking Griezmann with the club. I mean, what, what, what do you think about this? I mean, do you want, I mean, do you want Anton Griezmann on the team? What, what's, your, what's your opinion on this? No, I have no desire. I have zero desire to have Griezmann on the team. I think he's a great player, obviously. He's a great striker, and he's really good for Atletico. I don't think that he would necessarily be great for Barcelona, and I have no desire to have him. The funny thing to me is that the club would go so far out of their way to tell everyone, no. No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, remember remember a couple weeks ago during, I think it was the Classico, right, where they were talking about the Griezmann thing at that halftime with, the, with one of the board members. And that's what really sparked everything because 
they basically acknowledged that they had been talking to Griezmann's representatives. And in the past two weeks, the Madrid media have connected more meetings with the Barca board members, some Barca board members and Griezmann's representatives. So that's where this is coming from. Now, I, I would welcome Griezmann if we didn't sign Coutinho and Dembele. Right, I think he would be a good player for our Barca and for that price. But since we've signed Coutinho and Dembele, I just don't see Griezmann, especially financially. I don't think we can fit it. And again, with the FIFA financial fair play, it wouldn't allow us to sign Griezmann. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I, I find it curious that they had to write a statement like this. But I think that's why, because especially here in Madrid, the media has been really going after this idea of the Griezmann Barcelona backroom deals going on. Yeah, and I mean, if they're looking to strengthen, you know, the squad with another striker, maybe, you know, thinking about Suarez eventually moving on, maybe Paco moving on, why don't they look more to a younger player who's not so expensive, for one thing, and not so experienced as Griezmann, someone who they can bring up through it, you know? Why not do that? And we have that. We have that in our nice. You know, someone, right. someone young, cheap, and that has potential. And we already have that in the pipeline. I just think that, you know, I don't think this is going to come to fruition because of the, the price tag with it. And I, I think that Griezmann would benefit more going to Man U, where he could be the star of the team. And whereas in Barcelona, I don't think he'll be able to do that. Uh, but you never know, and we never know what's going to happen with these backroom deals, especially with Nike and all these, you know, all these other companies that have vested interest in, in Griezmann going to Barcelona. Yeah, but it's, it's, it is not going to happen. Of, of course, you know, sometimes with this board, you never know. They issue this statement, and for all I know, next week they're going to sign Griezmann. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it happening. And, and personally, I don't think – I just think it would be too many superstars. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you can have too many, right? Like almost um, too many big personalities. They just don't get along. And, yeah, I just – I would rather see our nice getting more playing time and – having him come up rather than getting Griezmann. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for the news. Now, our community segment. We got one really interesting message this week uh, from Carlos on Facebook, and I think that it's going to start a potentially long conversation, but we'll try and not overdo it. So Carlos starts off saying, Hey, guys, I'm a regular of your show. I wanted to see if y'all could talk about my crazy opinion. I think us as Barcelona supporters have been lied to for years when it comes to La Masia. And the reason I believe is because after Xavi and Iniesta, Sergi, there hasn't been any players who we kept. From failed players like Montoya, Bartra, Cuenza, and other players I may have forgotten. I don't understand how it's possible that we can't develop a right back or a center back having La Masia. So, in my opinion, I believe it's a lie that's been told to us for a while now. Again... Y'all may not agree with me, but that's the beauty of this sport. We use our eyes to watch it, and we all have different opinions. Thanks, guys. Now, I, I feel like I get what Carlos is saying. You know, I don't think I would go so far as to say that we've been lied to, but that maybe La Masia is a little oversold in terms of its ability to produce a large number of Barcelona first-team players who are the best players in the world. We had a great period of a lot of players coming out of the academy in the early 2000s, but I don't know if expecting that to be the norm is just a sustainable expectation. Yeah, this is a really good note from Carlos because this made me think all week about how I was going to approach this. And what do you think about if they implemented a rule where they had to have, let's say, four Barca B players on the senior team at all times? 
What do you think about that? So that no, I mean <laughs> that they just have to be on the roster so that it gives opportunities to the Barca B players, right? So they can vine for those spots. It's almost like the Athletic Bilbao way of the, how they do players. All their players have to be Basque. All their players have to be, you know, from Bilbao, you know, from from that area, right? And it's good and it's bad, right? It's good because it promotes that region to to aspire to be part of the Athletic Bilbao team, right? And they know that they're not going to bring in a Griezmann. They know they're not going to bring in a high-powered player, right? Because they want to bring those players up from that region. Now, I'm not saying to get away with this policy that we're getting great players. I'm not saying that. But maybe we have to implement a rule where there's four guaranteed spots for Barca B players. So that promotes more La Masia development and it doesn't matter which manager we have in the future they know that they have to have four Barca B players on the team on the senior team and that's it so that gives us a pipeline where we don't have to sell these players and these players can kind of aspire to a position that they know and maybe they may not play on the senior team but at least we know there is four Barca B player spots always every year available guaranteed what do you think about that I think I think it's interesting, and I think it sounds good at first. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things that could come out of that. For one thing, um, it might actually drop wages for Barca B. Not that Barca B pays very high wages, but it could actually drop wages for Barca B because if you have a young player who's being courted by Barca B, but then they're also maybe getting an offer from Granada, <laughs> right? Like if you weigh those two things, if Granada is willing to pay you more, than Barca B, but you know that if you go to Barca B, you could get a guaranteed spot on the first team. That might be more of an incentive. So from the player perspective, that might be really attractive, actually. From the fan perspective, it would be really attractive. Um, Then there's the question of from the team perspective, right? Like you said, even if they don't play, but then that's four spots on the squad. Then, you know, with our demanding schedule and to keep up this level of performance, you know, maybe even if you have the four best players from Barca B in that senior team, you know, maybe just because they knew that they could get on there just by being the best on Barca B, then they could get onto the senior team. Maybe you'd start to see performances fall. But of course, this whole thing really just relies on the whole academy method, right? Like their their coaching philosophy, their recruiting policies, what they do for recruiting. I feel like recruiting for La Masia has has changed a lot in the last years and i don't think it's they're getting the same players that they used to get they're not finding the same kids that they used to find well again this is this is what this is going to be a great debate right because like for example like yeah there's those are four spots but those four spots they're going to be able to play more at the senior level so hopefully that'll lead to better development i mean Obviously, Xavi Iniesta, Sergi Busquets, you know, not only were they talented, but they also got opportunities to play in games. And that goes a long way. You know, these Barca B players that, let's say, if they had those four guaranteed spots, they would be able to play in the Copa del Rey matches. They'd be guaranteed those, those, those times. And so for me, it's like, yeah, like it just develops this pipeline because everyone that I've seen, especially after the Espanol debacle or game on over the week, People are mixed, right? People want the results, but then, like, they question when Val Green uses youth, right? So it's like, 
You can't have both. We can't win everything. But at the same time, we can continue to develop these players in this method, right? So that it, it, it makes everyone happy. We can still continue to sign these big-time players. But then we have these four spots guaranteed for Barca B, La Masia players. And I think that's really attractive for players that are going through the system because they can aspire and know that they have a guaranteed spot. And I just think it's the best of both worlds. You know, you, 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 you're using those spots. They're going to be at a, a discount. You know, for example, let's say on this team going forward, we could have used Alenia, Arnaiz, and two other Barca B players on that team, and they would have been on the senior team, developing, practicing, understanding the tactics of Val Green, and I think that goes a long, long way. Now, obviously, you know, dreaming's free, right? And I know that, you know, the fans demand results, but at the same time, it doesn't matter if it's Val Green now or it's some manager next time. If they know before that they have to have four slots guaranteed for Barca B, I think that's just going to promote a better streamline of player development from La Masia. And again, we're going to be able to recruit maybe better players because Real Madrid doesn't have this wouldn't have this type of philosophy. They're just signing Galacticos. And so if you're a parent and you have a player, a child that's pretty good, you're probably going to lean towards Barca because you have a better shot of making the senior team. Yeah, and you know the point you make about the uh, them getting the minutes and getting the experience is that it's way better to get that experience on the first team at Barcelona because you're playing with the best in the world. You're playing with Barcelona first team players, experienced veterans on that team who are going to be some of the best players in the world. If you go to a smaller club, you're not going to be on the pitch with those people as your teammates. It's just not the same kind of experience. Even if you're getting tons of minutes at Alaves, like Munir has been getting tons of minutes at Alaves this year. He has, you know, three goals and that's fine for him. But if he'd have if he'd have had more time playing with the Barcelona first team, I think that's a very different learning environment. It's like going to a better school, you know, going to a better university. Yeah, you have a good point. So I'm looking at the roster right here, right? So who would be the four? Like if we had to designate four, let's say three spots, okay? Because four is kind of a lot, okay? So let's say three spots. Which three players would you knock off on the team right now? So like for me, I would take off Digne, Alex Vidal, and... Andres Gomes. And with those three, oh, and, yeah, you know, and those three players, I would substitute Arnaiz, Alenia, and another Barca B player. And to me, we still have the depth. We still can develop these players. Arnaiz and Alenia could get more time in La Liga. But like you just mentioned, they're playing with the best players in the world. So again, they're you know, your talent goes up a little bit. You know, you, you realize if you could match up with these best players in the world, and it just gives you that confidence that when you're playing against, again, we're going to throw Granada under the bus, Granada, you know, and a La Liga match day 16, you know you're going to be fine because you've practiced with, like, the best players in the world. So, I don't know. I just, everyone kind of wants, you know, all this La Masia development, but we have to have an accordance with the senior team. And, like, I propose this to be, a situation where you know they have a guaranteed three spots for Barca B players, just like the Athletic Bilbao system, and I think that'll promote a really great synergy between signing amazing players for in the free agent market and also developing players in through La Masia. Yeah, I think it sounds like a really exciting experiment. We should do it. Oh wait, we don't run FC Barcelona. Well, I, I still think it's a great idea, and I would love to see the club give it a try, like even on a trial basis for you know four or five years. Uh, just to see how that kind of pipeline idea works, because you need time for that to really play out. But also, you know, Palencia, he plays right back at Barca B right now. He's the captain. He's he's very good. 
why isn't he getting more time? Exactly. That's another good point. You know, we bring him up. Then the next person behind Palencia gets more playing time in Barca B. So you're you're just like streamlining the, the playing time, the experience. And I just think that, again, you'll be able to attract more players, younger, talented players, if they know there are three guaranteed spots through La Masia. And I just think that would be, again, like I said, the best of both worlds. Thank you. I've done my study on this. I think it'll work. Guaranteed. Gabriel Caroga, president of Barca, two more years. Thanks. <laughs> yes. One of our favorite things about doing this podcast is getting you, the listeners, involved with it. If there's something about FC Barcelona you want us to talk about, let us know by going to barcatalk.net and find the contact page or use any of our social media channels. And if you like what we're doing here, consider sending some money our way. We don't do special episodes just for patrons or anything like that. Everything we make is free to listen to. But if you do feel like you want to help out the show, go to barcatalk.net and click on the support tab at the top of the page. Thanks. All right, so let's talk about uh, Barca B. So first thing, bit of news, actually. Uh, they got a new player in uh, named Martin Hongla. He's a 19-year-old Cameroonian. He's come from Granada on loan with the option to purchase his contract at the end of the season. And like most Barca B acquisitions, I didn't know much about him beforehand. So I looked into him a little bit. He plays primarily center back or defensive midfield. And he's made 33 appearances for Granada since he joined that club. But he hasn't featured much for them this year. Uh, now, assuming he gets time at Barca B, that could be good for him and for us, because who knows, that could mean we'll have another good center back in the pipeline. And as we learned on Sunday, you just can't have too many good center backs in the pipeline. Exactly. And, you know, we'll see if he can help sure up the defense and allow Barca B to just stay in the segunda. And as we saw earlier today, they had a nice victory. But going forward, you know, if they can sure up the defense, that'll definitely help their chances on staying up. Yeah, and they've conceded 16 goals, uh, which is not too bad. I mean, other teams have conceded 19, 22, 26 goals. So giving up 16 goals, that isn't too bad. They just can't seem to score the goals they want to boost them up the table. But on Sunday, they did have a good result uh, against Tenerife. They won 3-1 to one with a hat trick from this kid, Carlos Perez. He's a 19-year-old right wing, started out at CF Dom, spent a couple of years at Espanyol, and came into La Masia in 2014. So I think that qualifies him as being a legitimate academy La Masia player. Yeah, this is really exciting because, as we said, they just need to you know sprinkle a couple of victories here and there. And they were able to get that and, of course, get a really great victory today against Tenerife, 3-1. to one. Uh, We'll see if this kid can develop into something. You know, what I, I really like, especially with the earlier purchase of Martin Hungla and, of course, is Carlos Perez, is they're both really young, 19 years old. And just showing, you know, moments of brilliance here and there. As we talked earlier in the episode about um, possibly, you know, having a better pipeline from La Masia. And if Barca B can continue to stay in Saguna, that will just help develop those players even more. Yeah, and just keep giving them more opportunities. You know, the thing that blows my mind about this is that this kid, Carlos Perez, he's played only about 200-some minutes. And he scored three goals in this one match. I mean, it's, you know... If we look at the season as a whole, right, we're excited about Arnais, um, Alenia, and and now with this, with Perez, that, that really gives Barca B a, a really a great attack, not great, but a good attacking force now going forward. And hopefully they can convert their chances more and have some more victories sprinkled in through the season. Yeah, and now they're still in 19th place. Uh 
but they're five points clear of the next team down, Cordoba. Now, it, this league has 22 teams, and I don't know what the rules on relegation are in the uh, second league. I assume it's the bottom three teams would go down. So they're in 19th, just on the uh, top of the bottom three you know, relegation area, assuming that's how the league works. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're just hanging on. But at least they got a decent clearance over Cordoba by five points. And that's all they have to do, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if they finish 19th, 18th. You know, they just have to hold on and stay up. You know, for me, it would be great if they can move up, you know, to like maybe 15th or something at the end of the year. But really, it's just staying into this Segunda however they can. Yeah, just by hook or crook, right? Now, their next match is uh, going to be at home in the Mini Estadi against Granada. So, you know, if you're in Barcelona, maybe go check it out the game. The, I can almost guarantee that the tickets will be free or cheap. Now, all right, I don't want to forget about FCB Femini, even though they are on international break right now. They're looking ahead to the Women's World Cup 2019 in France, getting ready, doing competitions for that. So they actually haven't played since we last uh, put out a, an episode. But next week on the 27th, the Liga Femenina will be back in action, and Barcelona will be on the road against Albacete. And, of course, you know we'll have more on that next week. But uh, I should say that Albacete is definitely a minnow in the Liga Femenina. We're expecting a win out of that match. Uh, everything has been you know, going, going our way in the uh, Liga Femenina. The women's team have been doing great, neck and neck with Atletico Madrid. So we expect them to keep that up, take three points out of that match. But let's shift over to the first team and La Liga in general. So first thing, Valencia fell to Las Palmas 2-1 to on Saturday, which is fantastic for Las Palmas, fantastic for us. And, you know, speaking of Valencia, come to Barcelona this April and watch the Valencia match with Gabriel and other Barca Talk fans. Just go to barcetalk.net, look for the fan tour link, and enter password BT18. But how cool is that for Las Palmas to pull a win out against Valencia? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing with this match, I just watched the highlights of the other matches that we're going to talk about as well. But in this one, Valencia really had control of the match. But there was a penalty, and the person who caused the penalty, Paulista, lost his mind and and got a red card, which he, he didn't have to. And no one on Valencia, like, was pushing him away from the ref. He he got in the ref's face and he got two yellows within a minute. So just really bad play on Valencia's team because they were they were up one nothing at the beginning on a really nice goal, um, just a, just a solid corner kick header, and they were really controlling the game. But then um, Las Palmas came back and they got the two goals back and they were able to get to the victory. So again, this just shows you that you know even though Barcelona has been going through the the league unbeaten, it's still a difficult task. You know Valencia falling here and there with. Las Palmas losing points, and it just keeps extending our lead. Yeah, it's great news for us. And even more good news for us, Atletico got drawn by Girona 1-1. to And I have to say, I hold a, a special place in my heart for Girona, since it's one of the few places I've been to in Spain, one of the more out-of-the-way places that I've been to. Uh, so way to go, Girona. <laughs> my Girona, right? Everyone was saying, like, you know, uh, thanks, Girona, for, you know, tying with Atletico, your true Catalan brothers, right? So... Uh, you know, yeah, so Atletico should have done better. And this is the thing that kind of drives you crazy if you're an Atletico fan. You know, they should be able to win these matches with their defense, their tactics, but they really do play down to their competition a lot. And they were playing at home. They were up one nothing. There's no reason why they couldn't 
put two more, you know. But the way Simeone has them playing so conservative all the time, you allow these teams, especially like Corona, like this past weekend, to come back, score a goal, tie, and then Corona just plays good defense to hold out for the for the point. Yeah, and I mean that's that's their bread and butter playing defensively because I mean Girona's not that great so if there's one thing they know how to do it's how to hunker down stay organized and just play defensively yeah but you know that that philosophy was fine maybe like six years ago when they were kind of lucky to be there you know in the top four but now with their budget their new stadium they have quality players there's no reason why they shouldn't be in third or second place they should be able to be more attack minded, especially against lower tier teams like Corona at home. They should they should win this match three nothing, but they're just super conservative. Simeone, you know, doesn't trust a lot of his players a lot of the times, and you know, uh, good for us, right? Yeah, good for us. And I guess my heart goes out to the Atletico fans in that sense. But whatever. Uh, now also, Villarreal beat Levante two to one, and they stepped up into the top five in the table. Um, some really nice goals from Villarreal. They really dominated this game from start to finish. They're they're going to contend with Real Madrid for that fourth place spot, and I'm really happy for that because Real Madrid really needs to fight through that. It's not just a cakewalk. And Villarreal, you know, they like I watched the highlights. They are a strong team, and they don't have any other games that they're really fighting for. You know, they're not really in Europa Cup. I don't think they're not in Champions League, and so they're just really fighting for La Liga. Yeah, so that's all they have to worry about. Now, speaking of Real Madrid, they absolutely steamrolled Deportivo 7-1. to After Depor opened the scoring, Real Madrid came back with a seriously bad temper. I mean, I guess they finally just got right and proper sick of losing to weaker teams. Yeah, it was funny because when I was, well, I think we were recording earlier, that they were up uh, Depor was up one nothing, and my friend texted me. He's like, "Real Madrid's losing." And then I went to go look at the score, and it was one one. And then from then on, Real Madrid dominated. And Bale had some goals. Ronaldo had some goals. Benzema came back. So Real Madrid came back definitely with a temper, and we'll see if that can carry them through. But you know, they should win this match at home against Deportivo. Well, yeah, they should. But you know, they've just had such a tough season, and uh, happily for us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure, it's not surprising at all that they would take a win out of this uh, out of this game. But seven to one, that's just mean. <laughs> that's some that's some cyber bullying right there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, but it's still going to be an uphill battle for Real Madrid. I just hope that they that they stay in fourth place. That would be my favorite. Yeah, me too. And and especially with you know Villarreal and Valencia, they're going to be fighting there for that third and fourth place. And we'll see what happens with Real Madrid. You know, if they if they lose another game here and there, they're going to slide down the table. And like we talked about on a couple episodes, just. If they have to qualify for Champions League through Europa League or some other manner, I mean, that would be fantastic. It would be the best possible world to live in. Uh, Now, I want to talk about Sevilla. They did slip out of the top five, but they took Espanyol to the cleaners 3-0. And uh, I guess Espanyol left everything on the field midweek against Barcelona. And so they still haven't picked it up off the field after that. And they just they had nothing to give in that Sevilla match. Uh, So Sevilla have dropped position in the table recently, sitting in sixth place now. But uh, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to talk about a little bit of. A little bit of schadenfreude for Espanyol taking that loss. Um, this goes to show you that, you know, midweek match against Barcelona, they left it all on the table. And then coming back, I was watching the highlights. Their defense did not show up for this match. Sevilla, all their goals were basically 1v5, where the player took the ball and just was dribbling through the Espanyol defense. Again, it was also a midday uh, kickoff time. I think it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you could just tell by the stadium there was nobody in the stadium. And so... Sevilla took it to them 3-0 and 
beat them soundly. Yeah. And of course, Barcelona beat Betis five to nothing. So that gives us a top five of Barcelona with 54, 11 points clear of Atletico at 43, and then Valencia with 40, Real Madrid with 35, and right on their heels, Villarreal, the yellow submarine, with 34 points. I mean, that's a really nice looking table. You know, we just keep extending that lead. And, you know, like tonight's game was really a difficult game from the beginning. We were able to get that victory and we we just keep extending that lead. So going forward, you know, we're going to be able to assimilate Coutinho, Dembele back slowly. We don't have to put him, you know, it's not like do or die type of games. And so that's really going to help us for the rest of the season. All right, let's review a couple of matches. So first off, we had the uh, the little blip on the radar. We had the loss against Espanyol in the first leg of the quarterfinals in the Copa del Rey at RCDE Stadium in Barcelona last Wednesday. And I actually want to start off this match review with a listener reaction. This was from Juan on Facebook. Now, this actually did spark some debate on the Facebook page, and you can read the whole exchange if you want on our post with the sport cover from right after the match. But We're just going to respond to Juan's comment, so here it is. Uh, Juan said, Valverde has been a very competent and equanimous manager until this point as he has not shown the tendency of his predecessor, Lucho, who was prone to the ceaseless experimentation of the lineup. Yesterday, Valverde brought together players who have no game-time chemistry or experience on a battlefield of very deep importance, perhaps not for Barca, but for Pericos, absolutely. Valverde, who knows both teams quite well, cannot be forgiven, although he is a very respectable and esteemed man, for this disrespect. The team, the stadium, felt the effrontery, clearly. Alech, Denis, Dina, Alenia in this match? Question mark. Second half after a lead, it is understandable, but to begin war this way was rightly interpreted as a slight and had Espanol on fire. For this, no excuse to Valverde. Denis, unfortunately, has run out of opportunities, I am afraid, and at this moment, Vidal is proven to be inconsistent. Alenia was okay at most. Busquets delivered a fine performance and understood the occasion, as did Piquet. To see Valverde reach unnecessarily into the Lucho trick bag on this occasion for no good reason is a pity. His strength is the even keel. So this is a really interesting comment from Juan. Um, I think this goes back to what we talked about earlier about how we want... La Masia to run players, right? Because, you know, for me, Copa del Rey is the least important of the three. And when I saw the lineup, and we also saw the lineup, his approach in the away Celta match, I think I'm okay with it because let's use the Copa del Rey always to use players who need time and younger players. Because if we lose, we lose, right? I mean, we always want to win, but you know, we need to develop these players. And if we want to have, you know, these players to develop long-term and to have success at the senior team, they need to play. And I think the Copa del Rey is that perfect format for them. Now, everyone was, like, losing their mind on Wednesday because they lost, right? Like, I know that, you know, it's Copa del Rey match. We're, you know, it's the final eight, all these things. Yeah, I want to win too. But at the same time, I would rather go to this match with this lineup that Val Green picked, lose this match as opposed to losing in Champions League or in La Liga. Now, this is, you know, for me, it's a little a little bit much with the, you know, again, like I said, I want to win just as much as the next Kool-Aid, but we cannot win every match. And, you know, again, everyone wants young players from La Masia to develop and play, but then we they want to win all the time. Again, this is the kind of contradiction 
of Kool-Aids on Twitter. I don't know, Brian. I mean, I just think this is a little overdramatic. Again, I, I think, again, it's two legs, and I think we're going to destroy them in the second leg. Yeah, I mean, you know, and Juan does make a good point that obviously these players had no in-game chemistry, and that was, of course, that was evident if you watched the match. Um, but again, kind of like the point that you're continuing to make, it, where is the laboratory? If it's not going to be the Copa del Rey, where is the laboratory? Right. It has to be the Copa because I agree. And I think most coolies agree that of the three competitions that we're in, the Copa is the least significant. And we've won it the last three times. Like, you know, maybe we could take a year off and use that as a laboratory. I think that's a good analogy with the laboratory, because, again, we need this is the time and the space for them to develop. Of course, they never played together, but now they have. And now going forward, if this has, you know, if we have to use this lineup, God forbid, for whatever reason, <laughs> they'll at least have, you know, they'll have some sort of experience to rely yeah. on. <laughs> you know, you know, hopefully, hopefully we don't have to use this lineup for anything, you know, super important. But now, you know, you mix and match. And like you said, this is the time to do that in the Copa del Rey. Yeah, I know it's the quarterfinals and yeah i mean but does juan i mean juan is copa del rey that important for you i mean for me it's not i mean it's great if we can win it but for me it's it's la liga champions you know a a a and b basically right up there and then copa del rey is definitely the least of the of yeah the three. it's gravy now also i would have to say that given this uh not great lineup of people who <laughs> don't have a lot of chemistry getting a one nothing loss out of that is still pretty impressive given that circumstance exactly i mean this i mean for i have you know i was watching this game and you know reading twitter reactions and so forth first of all you know espanol put all their eggs in this basket for this match right again they lost yesterday to sevilla and to me it's like the ref had a lot to do with the match he allowed the physicality of espanol to go right to the you know to the to the border to the you know to it the line the edge, essentially sure. he didn't car it was on the edge right and so he didn't card that many players so that allowed Espanol to play that way obviously they're playing at home I cannot remember an Espanol crowd being that fired up like they were full on support full on into the match very few Kules in the crowd I could see and Espanol was playing you know because this is all they have to play for this you know they're not in the Liga race. Copa del Rey, they're they're trying their their hardest. And again, like you said, for Barcelona to come out with just a one nothing loss off of this, I mean, we have the second leg in the camp. No, and if the previous experience with the Celta is to say anything of what Val Green's going to do, he's going to come up with a stronger team at home, and we should be able to pull away from Espanol. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing to remember is that a tournament format is a very different situation strategically from something like the league format, right? The league is just a giant round robin where everyone plays each other home and away, right? It's the longest competition. It's the most grueling competition. And so week in, week out, you know, you have to do what you have to do as far as, you know, the players you have available, who's looking good, injuries, all that sort of stuff. But you really have to try and win every single week in La Liga. But with a tournament, like a knockout tournament situation, now you can be actually more strategic about these things and you can sacrifice a little in the first leg away when you know you're going to have the second leg at home. Good point. And again, I just want I just want this to be the laboratory, like you said. I love that analogy because this is where we're going to mix and match lineups. Younger players can develop. Again, we can't have both things. Winning everything, using our start, our strongest 11 in Copa del Rey? No. I mean, especially on the way leg, I would prefer using this 
mix and match lineup, getting that development. I mean, obviously he brought Suarez, but you know the Copa del Rey here in Spain is not is not viewed as an important tournament. It is viewed when you're a lesser team because you have nothing else to fight for. You know, like Leganes or um, sorry, not Leganes, but like Alaves last year, right? Like that was their Super Bowl because they don't have anything else that they're fighting for. But for Barcelona, it's just kind of like the cherry on the topping of the season. If we can do well in Champions and La Liga and win Copa, then that's like the cherry on the, you know, on the Sunday. But to me, it's not doing any disservice to the tournament. It's not doing any disservice to our team. If anything, this is the time that we have to use to develop those players. Yeah, now, so let's detail the lineup real quick. Obviously, we had Silicon in goal. Copa del Rey is his tournament. Back four, Sergio Roberto, Pique, Vermelin, and Dina. Really, the only weak player on that was Dina. Um, and he's not terribly weak. I'm not, you know, I'm not super excited when he plays. Alba, of course, is much better, but there he was. So we have like sort of one out of four is a slightly weaker or up and coming player. Midfield is actually to start off with, I couldn't tell who the hell was going to be forward on this. It just looked like a four, six, <laughs> just six midfielders, right? <laughs> Busquets, Denis Suarez, Paulinho, Vidal. Okay, yeah, he's more of a winger, I guess, but Alenia. He's really more of a midfielder. He's not so much of a winger or a striker. And then, of course, Messi, who, you know, he can do he can do anything. Yeah, this is where, you know, we talked about earlier where Paco would have been a really nice fit here because at least Paco would have been a center focus point of attack, right? He would have been the center forward filling in for Suarez and then Vidal could have played off of that and then Messi could have been the playmaker. And having Paco there would have definitely given us a stronger attack. Now, for me... You know, Alenia getting some playing time. He has to adapt, right? And he didn't have the greatest match. But at the same time, like, it's two legs. And we only won one nothing. It's not the end of the world. We still have home. And, you know, if we use the same lineup at home, I'm okay with it. I mean, let him have a chance. I mean, give him the chance. Give him the opportunity and see what happens. They're going to play different at home. It's going to be, a you know, a crowd that's going to support uh, Barcelona and also the ref is not going to let them play as physical just because Barcelona's at home. Yeah, and like Alenia played 60 minutes alongside Busquets and Paulinho, but mainly Busquets. I mean, like that's 60 minutes that he's not going to get in La Liga. Correct. And, you know, I mean, it just goes down to, you know, everyone, I hear everyone talking. You know, we always go back to this point younger players, La Masia, win. We, you just can't do it right. all. You just can't, and so you have to you have to pick and choose your battles. I like I said, I'm perfectly okay with this. Going with this lineup, we have two legs. We have the away leg, you know, the second leg at home, and we should kill them. I mean, I'm not scared of Espanol. I know it's a derby, but at home we should be okay, especially with Suarez and Messi. With our strongest lineup, we should be able to handle. Yeah, we should easily. be better than okay. And now, like generally speaking, I felt like the first half of this match was just such a scrap ball changing possession so much all the time. It's really even hard to focus on any one moment as either good or bad. It was just overall contentious, but I did make one note in the first half. I mean, overall the brightest moment in the match was just as Messi was getting ready to take the penalty in the 61st minute, but the hope of that moment was dashed. So in retrospect, the best moment of this match for me was in the fourth minute when Busquets put on his Montera and had a sequence of three pullbacks ending in a back heel pass to Alenia. Uh, Busquets is a magician. He's it's it's one of those things, you know, you you just take for granted. He's so smooth. 
on the ball. I saw some guy on Twitter that was saying that Kroos and Casemiro is better than Busquets. I was like, is this guy a crack? <laughs> what? Yeah, he's just a Madrid fan. Like, how do you even – yeah, well, exactly. But the thing was, you know, after this uh, after this moment that Busquets had, he didn't have his best game. But also, it, it has to do with the connection of the midfield to the defense, right? So he's putting these balls to the midfield. They just were out of out of sync. Again, the, the play was back and forth. You knew it was going to favor Espanyol, especially with the way they were playing physically. And the, this was like I think the ref I was if I remember correctly it's like he's a new ref too so he didn't want to get bullied too much and he just let the play happen for Espanol and again um, there wasn't too many bright spots I mean for me it was super difficult to find a man of the match I mean I to me it was just it was just a scrap it was just you know it was pure you know it was basically our B team against their A team yeah now there were a couple of plays that uh that I liked and uh, I want to talk about in the 52nd minute there was a great run from Sergio Roberto he drove downfield went past three or four players and then he was taken down just as he was cutting in toward the box so he got cut down just shy of getting a penalty but it was a great run and then Messi took the free kick it bounced around a little and then managed to get back to him, and the way he chest-controlled it straight into a volley and a pretty good shot, which was saved. That was a nice moment. That was a bright spot. Yeah, again, your boy, Sergi, when he plays right back and he dive-bombs that right corner, it's magic because he creates so much chaos on the defense. You know, he's able to maneuver really well with the ball, and he's really dangerous, especially, you know, we've noted in the previous games, his crossing ability, and also the way he just cuts in the middle. He's faster than you think, you know, and so he surprises a lot of defense, and again, he had some really good runs, especially the one that led to the penalty yeah that was also a really good one now then just going down my list here in the 59th minute Luis Suarez finally came in took Alenia out of the match and he didn't really deliver much and I feel like uh, we were kind of talking about this earlier with Iniesta right last season Iniesta would come on as a sub under Lucho and he didn't often look great but now this season when he's starting under Valverde he looks better and it's so it's not just minutes aren't minutes right it's, it's different when you start versus when you come on as a sub, right? Like Paco is a great striking sub. He He's an impact player who can come off the bench mid-game and make a difference. Suarez, it seems like he needs to be there from the beginning to really be his, his best self. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, and some players are just really good coming off the bench. You know, Paco, for example, he's found that rhythm to come off the bench, find his way into the match by not forcing himself too much. And that's a really difficult thing to do as a professional, right? Because, you know, some players come in and they make no impact. But Paco has been able to do that. And maybe Luis Suarez is, like you noted, he has to start from the beginning, find his way into the match, find his groove, and then he's able to take off. Sometimes, you know, maybe he's just a slow starter. I mean, I would say he is a slow starter. Putting him in as a sub maybe isn't the best play and maybe it was better to have him start or not, or not even have him play yeah, at all. Yeah, just put someone else in instead. Now, you mentioned the uh, the penalty kick, right, which was our, our great moment of hope in the 61st minute. It was given for a foul on Sergio Roberto in the box. But on that play, speaking of Suarez, Luis, he dropped back to get the play forward, and which is something he doesn't often do, so I was really impressed that he did that. And when he did that, when he came back a little bit, suddenly they were on a counter. And then Messi's shot was saved yeah. on the penalty, which was a great save by Diego Lopez. Yeah, and, and again, it's just, you know, the combination of Messi, Robert, Sergio Roberto, and Suarez, just knowing where they are in the spacing and the ball. And again, that is another decision by the ref on that play where that should have been a second yellow card, and it was not given. 
You know, so those are plays in the game that could have really dis- helped decided the game for Barcelona's favor. Now, again, I really need to stop listening to ESPN FC because they drive me crazy, yeah. right? But I was I was listening to the podcast after, and their their question was, "What's wrong with Messi's penalty ability?" Right? So they had Alejandro Moreno, and he was talking about how Messi should be a better penalty kick taker, and. My whole reason is it's not so much what's wrong with Messi's ability, and especially in this situation. It was a super save by Diego Lopez. I mean, you look at the, the, the penalty taken. It was hard. It was in the corner. And it, Diego Lopez just made a really great save. So sometimes you really have to give credit to the keepers. However, if we look in statistics, right, Messi and Ronaldo are the, the top penalty takers of all time, right? Pretty much. They've, you know, Ronaldo's taken 128 total, whereas Messi's taken 105. Now, the next person on that list is Ibrahimovic with 79, but he hasn't done anything lately because he's been injured and not playing as much. Then the next person down below that is like Eden Hazard, Falcao with like around 40 and 50. Now, for me, it's not so much what's wrong with Messi. It's just Messi takes so many penalties that the percentage is just going to go down. And... Messi's scored 81 with a 77% conversion rate, which to me is still pretty good. I mean, that's, you know, more than three quarters better. The thing is, you just have to give credit sometimes to the keeper. And sometimes Messi doesn't take the greatest kicks. But on this occasion, all credit goes to Diego Lopez. Yeah, well, I mean, for one thing, Diego Lopez is like 6'5". So he's already got a lot of space covered. He went the right direction. And I don't think he was really waiting. I think he just picked he picked which side he was going to go to. And it just happened to be the right, the right corner, and there it was. But I thought that shot was totally strong and on target. It was right at the corner. Maybe if he'd have gone high instead of low, I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe there's a slightly better success ratio with that. Although you know, I remember there on Radio Lab, there's a, they were talking about a study that essentially says that you should always shoot it right in the center. Because, because the goalkeeper is going to go to one direction or another. So the one place that the goalkeeper is not going to be is right in the center. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I would – when I see Messi take a penalty, I always want him to go like waist high. You know, I don't like, I don't like these on-the-ground penalties. I know, you know, they, they score as well. But for me personally, when I used to play, I always tried to go waist high, left or right side. Obviously left side because I'm left-footed and it's easier for me to curl that way. But I just think that going high, you have less chance because especially if you hit it hard, if he gets a hand on it, it still can go backwards, right? Um, again, this was – you just have to give credit to Diego Lopez. We lost that opportunity. But more importantly for me, the player for um, for Espanol should have got a second yellow card and got ejected and we should have been a man up. Yeah, and that crowd, like you were saying, that crowd was just so up for that game. And if you have a new – referee a younger referee who's in this situation for the first time the crowd can have a huge impact on a referee's decisions definitely and you can just see how he was reacting and trying to talk his way to the players to not give that card because again you know when you're when you're the home team you definitely get some you know some sort of bias you know you just do because of the crowd of the environment and so forth and again if you watch the play that's a foul and that was and it was a it was a goal scoring opportunity too because he was turning the corner, you know, and he was heading towards goal and the guy just pulled him down. I mean, that's a yellow card. That's a yellow card offense and anyone's yeah, book. Yeah, absolutely. Now, okay, so there was the goal by Melendo in the 88th minute, so very late winner for Espanol. And Dina got beat, just straight up. Dina got beat and the cutback into the box fell to Melendo, who was being unmarked. 
Exactly. And this came, you know, this is all Digne getting, you know, it's, again, it's the 88th minute. Maybe he was tired. He just lost focus in that one moment. And you can just see he kind of looks and his feet don't move. And then you know, <laughs> the guy's gone, right? And then, and then the cutback. And so I knew as soon as they scored the 88th minute that um, it wasn't looking good for our, our unbeaten streak. But at the same time, losing only one nothing is not the end of the world. We still have the second leg. And so we really have to look at it as the overall grand scheme of things, right? The global score. And we're still fine. Yeah. Now, a little bit of bad news. Um I don't think it was. It turned out to be anything particularly serious, but Pauly did ask to be subbed out in the 52nd minute, and Rakitic came in for him. He had his foot iced on the bench. It looked like uh, looked like he might have sprained his pinky toe. Yeah, it looks like it might have been like a sprain slash like got spiked, you know, type of thing. But you know, you, I know you're, you're kind of making jest of the pinky toe, but you know, toe injuries are super difficult to recover because. You're walking all day, and the main thing for toe injuries, especially turf toe and so forth, is to not be able to walk. And it's really hard to come back. So hopefully it's something minor. I'm hoping that he just got spiked and it was a really bad bruise because if it's something related to turf toe, that's a really, really difficult um, injury to come back from. Even though you may think it's, you know, it's, it's almost as severe as a knee injury because you're unable to keep the weight on your feet. You're unable to cut. You're unable to walk. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, too, even though it, it sounds funny because it's a toe injury. But I, I, I get what you're saying. Hopefully, it's just something very no, minor. No, I so. feel sufficiently shamed pinky. now. Thank you, Gabriel. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, well, it's funny because football for nothing, right? Anything on your feet is very important. I understand. No, but the thing is, is a lot of times people always make jests. Not, I'm not just saying you, but like people always say, you know, turf toe. Oh, he should be able to recover in two days or something. But but you can imagine, you know, if you can imagine not using your big toe to plant while you walk, it's very difficult. I mean, obviously, Barcelona has a medical staff where they can give him a boot to keep him off his off his feet. But, you know, hopefully, like we said, it's something minor and he'll come back sooner. Well, no, later. it was minor. He was on the squad for Sunday against Betis. So, um, I mean, I'd, at this point when we're recording, I don't know if he's in the starting 11, but he's on the squad. So that should indicate that he's good to go yeah sounds good so hopefully his uh his pinky can come home right yeah all right so man of the match we have the same man of the match for this game and i'll go ahead and start it off it was rafinha he didn't do anything especially notable but he played which is something he hasn't done in like over nine months you know and especially in a match where nobody shined very much for me aside from Messi and maybe sergio roberto why not take a moment to just celebrate Rafinha's return, you know? I totally agree. I mean, this game had no really major highlights, no great plays by anyone. Obviously, Messi was the only one that was carrying the team in this match, trying to come all the way back to receive balls and start an attack. But for me, again, I'm in the same boat with you. Rafinha, to see him on the pitch, I mean, obviously, as of today, he has a lot of rumors, transfer rumors, that he's headed to Inter Milan. But it was great to see him out there, healthy. I mean, I saw he got tackled. And he bounced right back up. So that was really great to see. You know, again, with this lineup, we knew it was going to be a difficult match. And again, the only bright spot for me was Rafinha coming back. Yeah, and about the Inter rumors. At this point, from the information I have, um, it's still just a rumor. But it would probably only be a loan, which would be good. Because we were talking about this a week or two ago. That, you know, Rafinha wants to, now that he's healthy and he's able to play again, he wants to play as many minutes as he possibly can because he wants to 
play in the World Cup this summer. So that's his main thing is he wants to play for Brazil in the World Cup this summer. So he'll take minutes wherever he can get him. If he can get him at Inter, I think that would be great for him. But I personally would still hope that he would come back from that loan and continue to be a part of Barcelona's future. Oh, baby, the World Cup is this summer. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, you'd forgotten? <laughs> oh, I was just I was just talking about this with my friend about how Spain better do something this year because I want to watch the matches in this environment, you know, being in Europe, because the last time the World Cup was here was an utter failure. But, I'm again, Rafinha just needs to play because, you know, again, he wants to get more playing time. Hopefully he'll find a team like Inter, that will use his talents and he'll be able to have a long career in Syria. Yeah. Now, I feel like looking back, letting Tiago go was one of the worst mistakes that Barcelona made at that at that time when they let him go. I feel like that was they should have held on to Tiago, but instead, you know, they let him leave and now he's had this great career. But are Rafinha and his brother Tiago comparable in terms of potential at this point after this this injury saga that Rafinha's had? I don't know. <laughs> See, that's, that's why good, we do the show. We ask that's, the that's, tough that's questions. A good, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> so I think that, I, you know, that's a good point. Because if Tiago stays, maybe we don't get Andres Gomes, right? Maybe we don't get um, Paulinho, maybe. I don't know. So, yeah, you have a good point. I, would, I was a Tiago fan, but I knew his track record of being injured. He had been injured, too, almost as much as his brother, right? So that's kind of why they let him go. Obviously, he was able to, you know, he's playing well for Bayern and he's he's looked really good. But on the Rafinha front, I don't, I haven't seen enough long term, like enough games for me to say that he, you know, he, that he has unmatched potential, right? Like everyone always talks about his potential, his potential, his potential. But for me, it's almost kind of like he's run out of his time, right? Like part of you know, meeting your potential is being healthy. And unfortunately, that just, that happens. You know, some players get, are more injury prone than others, but that's part of the package. You can't, I mean, in world football, you have to have these players that are playing a lot of minutes and games because if not, it's just a waste of money. And to me, you know, I would love to have Rafinha still on the team. You know, I think it's a great story, but at the same time, if we can sell him or loan him for a good fee and we can fill that void with a Barca B player like Alenia that's going to have more minutes and more time. I would rather take the chance on Alenia now than Rafinha. If we were talking four years ago, I would be very hyped for Rafinha. But now he hasn't been able to log any minutes. You know, if you look in the last three years, it's just he always is injured with his face, his knee, something. You know, there's always something going on. Yeah. Now, if so, I'd say that, you know, maybe this uh, second half of the season, if he does go out on loan, and he does play a lot of minutes, and then let's say he does play in the World Cup and he has a really good World Cup, regardless of how Brazil does ultimately, if he plays really well in the World Cup, then maybe, you know, then we'd be looking at a situation where Barcelona's going to want to bring him back, make him a serious part of the team. I mean, of course, it's still all, all up to Valverde. I mean, the reason that Valverde put Rafinha into this game at all is uh, is who knows why. Like, maybe it's, again, it's just like a commercial for uh, other clubs to to take him out on loan just so that he could have some minutes to to show and prove no this guy can play and he can get tackled and still get up you should take him on loan please yeah it's a good point i definitely think it was a commercial you know just to show hey he can still run you know hey he still he's he can still play a little bit but yeah i mean to me i'm i'm really just focused on our strongest 11 and maybe two or three players on the bench right i mean that's really all i'm focused on it's nice to have 
Rafinha on the team, but I mean, really, is he going to find that much playing time if he's 100% healthy? I mean, who's he? Who's he going to supersede? Maybe Denis, maybe Andres Gomes, maybe. But I think Val Green has more faith in Andres Gomes just because he's been able to log more minutes. Okay, next match. This was against Betis in La Liga on the road in Betis. We won five nothing. It was fantastic. Rakitic had a goal. Messi had two goals. Suarez had two goals. Overall, just a wonderful result. It was, and you know, the first half was touch and go. We, you know, I tweeted. We just have to withstand the barrage at the beginning because Betis, you know, was fired up. The crowd was fired up. Um, you know, Barcelona were not playing that well in the beginning of the first half, but they just had to withstand, and they did. And they got five second half goals. And again, they just got another victory. Keep unbeaten. More importantly, Brian, they you know they got a shutout on defense, so not allowing Betis to score in this match. Yeah, another clean sheet. Now the squad in general of. Uh, Deuces was back in the squad. That was new. And then Rafinha and Denis Suarez, they were left off. And Yorimina was available, but he was left off the squad to, you know, I assume to just give him some more time to work into the team. You know, you don't want to throw a new signing who's barely trained with the team into a match on the road without any preparation. That probably wouldn't be have been the best. Yeah, but unfortunately, Vermalen got injured and we could have used him today. You know, like when I saw him TT1, I was like, oh, no, like... It's too soon, too soon. You know, it's like he just came back, and we, we the worst case scenario would have been if we lost Umtiti again, just on a you know, you never like what happened with Dembele just coming back too soon with hamstring issues. And you know, it was unfortunate that Vermalen got hurt in this match because he had a really nice run of consecutive matches, and it looks like it's another injured hamstring issue. So maybe they need to start doing more squats and less hamstring curls or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. But it was at least fortunate that Umtiti was ready to come back. Um, also good that he didn't suffer a new injury. Ideally, if he did come on, it would have been for 20, maybe 30 minutes. But he did have to come on a little sooner uh, if he were to come on at all. So, But that was a bummer that Vermeulen had to go out. But, you know, he provided his services as long as he needed to while Umtiti was out. And he is Mr. Glass, after all. So it seems like it was probably just a matter of time before Tommy V took another injury. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. Just, you know... Just like personally, like, you know, just that he was able to do this, um, help Barca this season, you know, with our defense. And, you know, you would have just liked to see, you know, hopefully this is a minor injury, but it, it did look kind of severe just because the way he pulled up, you know, that's never a good sign. So, you know, it's good that we have Umtiti back, but at the same time, it would be nice just to have Vermalen, you know, not be set back so long. Yeah, seriously. Now, the actual starting 11, of course, we had Ter Stegen in goal, which always fills you with confidence. And then I, when I saw it, I was very encouraged. We had Semedo, Piquet, Vermeulen, and Alba in the back. And then Busquets, Gomes, Sergi Roberto in the middle. So I was happy to see Semedo and Sergi both on the pitch starting. And then, of course, Messi and Suarez up front. You know, my only contention with this is Andre Gomes, you know. I mean, there was a great meme on Twitter where there was a picture of uh, Gomes talking to Val Green on the sideline. And someone put there in, like, the text that says, remember, coach, I got nudes on you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's not going to go away anytime soon. But I have to say, Gomes has started to play better. You're shaking your head. You're still not convinced. And I get that. I totally get that. But for him... By his standards, he's been doing a lot better. And in this game, I think he probably looked the best that he has to date. But that's the problem is that that's the problem, right? Like you are so used to him playing below this that if he plays like 1% above it, 
you're losing your mind or you're like, oh my God, Gomes is playing so good, but he's not. Like today he, again, he he fouls when he shouldn't foul, like he passes into traffic. He lost a 1v1. Like it's just, he's just, like I put on, on Twitter, he's just, he stops the offense, you know? He's like the stop sign, you know? He's just, <laughs> he's just like, and it just drives me mad. Like I would rather have any other player being in playing in that, in that position tonight or trying to go in a 4-3-3 tonight. I mean, I just, I just can't get, and I'm Coutinho just can't come soon enough. Oh no, I agree with you on that. I can't wait for Coutinho. But generally, about this match, it seemed like Betis was defending with a kind of a containment strategy. They did have a good press, but they weren't trying to nick the ball away necessarily. They were just trying to contain and then get them on the counter. And their counter was pretty threatening at times. It was really a pretty tough away game for Barcelona until the goals started flowing, and luckily they did three goals in 10 minutes to kick things off. Yeah, and, and it was kind of like the battle of the high lines, right? Because we obviously play a high line. And at the beginning, we were pressing really well, trying to make them into bad passes, which we did a couple times. And they did have a couple counters. But again, they have Joaquin on the left, who's super slow. I mean, he's just old now. And we have Semedo there. So that basically negated that side, right? I mean, Semedo a couple times... Uh, Joaquin came to the side and he just like looked and Samedo was like right there again. He was like beep beep, right? He was just, like right there, right? Just like took the ball from him and stuff. So, you know, when they re- when they recognized Samedo's speed, they kind of didn't go that direction for the rest of the match essentially, and they had to go through the right side. And even Alba's speed negated a bunch of the plays. But you know, overall, you know, they our high line was better. And the other thing too is I knew as soon as we scored the first goal that it was going to open up because they were going to chase the game. And of course that's what exactly what happened because once we scored that first goal, it became a wide open track meet and you know, our top attacking players are far better than theirs in open space. You know, Roberto Suarez, Messi, as soon as that first goal came in, I mean, how many combinations do they have passing? It was ridiculous. And you know, it really just goes down to our defense again, playing really well and us figuring out those holes. And once we did, we got that first goal, and that just opened the game wide open. Yeah. Now, in a larger sense, I want to put this in some historical context. With this match, they beat the 2012-13 season under Tito Villanova uh, streak of 19 straight games unbeaten in La Liga. So they've now gone 20 straight games undefeated in La Liga. That year with Tito, 2012-13, they actually had more points more wins at this point than the current team, but they did lose their 20th match. We're still unbeaten. Yeah, and that's that's a really good stat. And the other thing, too, I would say is that our team this season is far superior to that team on defense. Our, our defense this year is we've been posting shutouts left and right, and that's, for me, is going forward, especially in the Champions calendar that's coming up, that's going to be huge that we can hang our hat on is our defense. You know, that's the other thing that teams are starting to recognize that they cannot score on us and once we score the game just turns the game turns and we can just open it up and like tonight we scored five second half goals yeah it was fantastic now i do want to talk about the gomes yellow card now this this is kind of what i was saying but then it's a little of what you're saying also it's it's the best of both worlds 21st minute he showed a really good bit of skill to control the ball and turn and then he was trying to get forward and he just threw an arm that he didn't need to and he got booked for it i mean (laughs) <laughs> this is this is what I'm saying. Like, it, it just, I just don't like him. You know, I just don't <laughs> like him, and and I don't like his I, not as a person, obviously. I just don't like his game, and I don't know what Val Green sees in him, and I don't know what Luis Enrique saw in him. Like, I, I'm watching. Like, I posted on Twitter. Am I blind to something that's? He's just not an elite player, and I would rather give that time 
And I know Denny Suarez. I'm not saying you know he's much better, but I just I feel better that the potential for better plays and you know better passing comes from Denny Suarez than Andre Gomes. And so I would rather play Denny Suarez in that position, especially like for tonight. I think he would have linked up really well with Sergio Roberto. Um, you know, we don't have to rely on Denny Suarez trying to score, but he can. He's a little bit quicker than Gomes, you know, and I. I don't know. I just I just don't like Gomes's game at all. So, yeah, he had one that one good turn and stuff. But I mean, great. I mean, out of, you know, 900 minutes that he's played, he had one good play this whole season so far. So I, I, I'm, I'm just still not convinced. Yeah. Now, OK, it was the 39th minute when Vermeulen pulled up. He had to go off and Umtiti came on. So my first thought was, what a shame that Vermeulen got injured yet again after he's had this really good run of games. But then second, I thought, Yerimina, we're probably going to see more of him. Than, he, than we would have sooner rather than later. But, I mean, that's why we signed him, right? Because we needed that depth. And, I mean, throw him into the fire in La Liga. I mean, we don't have anything to lose, right? We, we basically have La Liga wrapped up. So, again, it's kind of the same thing with Coutinho. We have that luxury right now to just put him in. And why not just let Yuri Mina get those minutes? And that's why we signed him now. And it's going to, be, it's going to prove useful to have him play sooner than later yeah absolutely i mean next week in the camp new against alaves why not it's alaves exactly that's a perfect time for it right i mean there's really no pressure i mean we should beat alaves at home and he can kind of just get used to the surroundings with the pairing of pk or umtiti whoever Green decides and i think it would be a really kind of like like we talked about earlier it's a, it's a homecoming game right it's it's a kind of like it, it should be a win it's alaves it's at home you know it's that would be the perfect moment for Mina to make his debut. Yeah, no, okay. The first goal by Rakitic, it was, it was actually because of this really great through ball by Suarez. They sprung open the Betis press. They found the space. Rakitic was running into it. And that ball from Suarez, it had good vision. There was plenty of margin for error in the past because there was just so much space to pass the ball into. But the vision of it, the anticipation of it was excellent, I thought. Definitely. And the other thing, too, was before this, this happened, I was really kind of questioning Suarez is if he was injured or not because he was really walking around a lot he had a bunch of offsides you know someone was telling me like you're being too harsh on him and I said he's looking at the line like he should be onside right and I don't know he just kind of looked lethargic tonight but then once he got that this amazing through ball because it basically went through the legs of the player right to Rakitic and Rakitic converted that one-on-one I think that really opened our that really woke up Suarez, and he definitely had the last 30 minutes where he was just on fire. Yeah. Now, as far as the Suarez offside counter goes, as you know, I keep track of this now. He was called offside only three times by my count, and two were in the first half. The one in the second half was uh, early on when he was right on the halfway line, maybe over by a toe. But I think a defender was keeping him on anyway, so that was more than likely a bad call. So we've talked about how our listener, Charlie Barca, mentioned that this this technique will often find you offside. But it is a strategy, it's a tactic, and sometimes you just get offside when you're using it. But if you can minimize your offsides and still get the tactical advantage you're looking for, great. But it does seem like in the second half, he just changed what he was doing, either by himself or at Val Green's request. But then he wasn't called offside anymore. Yeah, and I was referring to there was one where he was looking at Messi, passing him the ball, and he was looking down the line, and he was offside. Now, that one that you talked about where he was on his first half, yeah, that's you know that's hit or miss because the linesman, he was out of position, and he called it offside. But yeah, I mean, four is not bad considering like before he's had six or seven in a game. So 
again, I give him the benefit of the doubt because, you know, he made the first assist. It was a great through ball. They made the adjustment and Rakitic converting on that. I was like, when I saw him going down the, you know, going down one-on-one against the keeper, I was like, this guy better score. And he did because like, because, <laughs> you know, it was a crucial point in the game because if he's, you know, if he doesn't score, then Betis thinks that they're still in the game. But making that conversion on that goal that just opened up the game and and as we see we got four goals after that yeah and the next one five minutes later by Messi I mean Busquets right Busquets pickpocketing the Betis player I forget who it was and then he turns and sends it straight to Messi and it was actually an easy finish for Messi I mean it was like a pirouette right he like the way he pickpocketed turned with the ball like barely looks up and just gives a perfect pass to Messi it was just again I'm we have Busquets and you don't, right? Like he's so good. I mean, so good. And and his defense right there because they were pressing high. Then Messi had one on one, and of course you're going to take Messi nine times out of ten, right? And so he was able to convert on that. And yeah, so that you know within you know seven minutes or five minutes, we're up to nothing. And from that on, I was just like, the game's over. You just know it's game's over because our defense is going to hold its own, and if anything, we're going to get some more goals. Yeah, now right on that goal, I was watching this on BN, and they were doing that split-screen thing right at that moment, so the Barca game was smaller. And every time they do that, I get nervous, because what if something really cool happens? And there it was, sure enough. So, boo! No, I'm kidding. I love BN. I'll gladly watch BN any day of the week. Well, I mean, this is the thing, is like, who cares about PSG? Does anyone really care about PSG? I mean... Right, I imagine that's what they split screen to, right? They they're like, oh, if you're interested in the PSG game, and it's like, no one's interested in that game. Uh, you know, Ligue 1 is not a, a real football knowledge game, <laughs> but I, I I understand what you're saying. You know, that always puts you nervous, especially like in this type of game where you know they they should pick and choose when they do double screen, like when the ball goes out of bounds or something like this. Yeah, know? when there isn't actual play happening. I don't know. But anyway, the next goal, the first Suarez goal, this one was beautiful. The cross from Rakitic and Suarez, I can only describe this finish as solid gold. It was solid gold, baby. Solid gold. Messy in the buildup, for one thing. The way he was fading outside, <laughs> dribbling, just taking everyone with him, incredible. And then out to Rakitic, putting in a staggering floating cross, and Suarez on the volley just murdered it. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of funny because in this moment, like two minutes before, I went to throw out the trash, and I come back to goal, and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I had to watch the replay, and just just how you explained it, like, again, Messi being able to free float causes so much chaos by you know on the defense, and then Rakitic had a really great game tonight. He was in the right spaces, Gives a nice assist to Suarez, and of course Suarez, just a fundamental half, you know, volley, and with the bounce, I mean, it was just, it was just a really nice finish. And again, you're up three nothing, and that really put the nail in the coffin in the game. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that makes Suarez's finishing so good is his technique on volleys. He always manages to get the right angle, get his knee up, and get level with the ball on his volleys. Yeah, I mean, that's a really hard thing to do, you know, with that type of pace and accuracy. And also to do it in live game. You know, it's one thing when you do it in practice, you have no defense around you. Uh, you know, when you practice these type of volleys, you have these, maybe you're doing 10 passes, you know, where someone's just passing to you. 
but he has one chance in the game, and he was able to convert, and again, it was just a golazo. Yeah, and then the next goal from Messi in the 80th minute, another beautiful moment, a dribbling exhibition. The way he moves a defense is just incredible because they know he has such incredible control of the ball. They have to just track him more often than not. They're not going to they're not going to put a foot in a lot of times. And sometimes I get the feeling or I start thinking uh, maybe Messi is losing a step here and there because I can see I think he's getting dispossessed a little easier or more often than he used to. And I was even thinking that in the early stages of this game. But then in that 69 minute goal, he just comes alive with these incredible skills and in this case he's just a puppeteer controlling the opponent's defense he was taking them to the left and I thought he would cut back outright because he'd opened up all this space so much space there but he just kept going to the left kept going to the left opened up his own space out there and then slotted it into goal another killer finish you know as we noted earlier when we talked about Ronaldinho you know for me Ronaldinho was like the first player I saw with an incredible touch, first touch, and an incredible dribbling skill. But Messi is 25%, 30% better than Ronaldinho. His touch and his dribble ability, the way the ball never leaves, it never goes too far. You know what I'm saying? Like, he always is in control of his movement. But for me, it was, you know, it's the typical Messi where he's just sliding from right to left, right? And you're kind of thinking he's going to cut it back, but he doesn't. And the way he just past the ball to the near post and if you watch the replay you just see the goalkeeper kind of like late reaction he's like oh there and he just it's too late it's just too late and it just looks like he's so relaxed you know like you watch any other type of game like yesterday I was watching the Arsenal match and whenever a player had an opportunity a one-on-one on a goalie they like eight times out of 10, they freak out because of the moment, right? Like they know they have to score. There's a lot of pressure. You're going really fast. Sometimes you're just not thinking clear and they miss the goal, right? That's, this happens a lot of times in football, but Messi, he just, you know, like everyone was freaking out on Twitter about this. They're like, he's an alien. He's a matrix, all this stuff. Right. And it's, it's totally true. Like he just, he knows already, like he was going to go near post and, he just makes it look like he's walking a dog out there. You know what I'm saying? Like he's so much in he's so much in control out there, and it's it's incredible. It's inc- I mean, like I've always told you, like even if I play against 12 year olds, I think I could like you know dribble around them pretty good. But still, like I would never have the stats that Messi does, right? Like, and he's doing this at a professional <laughs> level. You know, it's it's incredible. Gabriel versus 12 year olds. I do it all the time in my school, and I'm 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 still good, Brian. We got to tape that and put it on the YouTube channel, and then compare your stats with Messi's. All right, and then there was the fifth goal from Suarez, and I have to say, it starts with Sergi's dispossession and immediate layoff to Messi. So on one hand, Sergi's ability to nick the ball, and then his forethought to know to immediately hand it off to Messi. He knew he was there, like uh, like Ray Hudson says, he'd taken a million pictures in his head already. And then Messi's run was incredible, took everyone with him, and left it for Suarez. For me, the the moment of this goal was the pass from Messi to Suarez. I don't know if you saw, but Messi, like, the pace that he left the ball was perfect weight. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't too fast, and it wasn't too soft. It had enough roll to it where Suarez could just hammer it home perfectly. And to me, that's that's a really hard skill to do. And again, this just goes to the Sergio, or Sergi, Roberto, Messi, and Suarez, you know, being in the open field and how 
you know, you basically have the power of Suarez, the creativity of Messi, and the ability of Sergio Roberto's passing, right, with his crosses and stuff. And for the defense, that's that's an ultimate nightmare. You don't know who to mark. You don't know where Messi's going. And in this goal, like I, I tweeted, I was just like tic-tac-toe, man. I mean, this obviously with the third goal, I thought that game was over. But this was just kind of like exhibition-style play. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of that trio, Sergio Roberto, Luis Suarez, and Messi, who was your man of the match other than Messi? Yeah, so my man of the match was uh, Luisito Suarez. You know, I, you know, I like I mentioned earlier, his offsides. He kind of looked lethargic. I thought he was injured for a little bit just because he was walking so much. But again, you know, he's he's just a gamer. You know what I'm saying? Like he just he just needs that one moment of brilliance, and that just really sparked him. When he made that pass, from that moment on, he looked fresh. He was fine. He was engaged. And, of course, he had the two really great goals, and, you know, he was able to finish strong. So, for me, he he deserved the man of the match other than Messi. You know, in the first half, I would have leaned towards your boy, uh, Roberto. But I think overall in the, the game performance, you know, that pass to Rakitic, that definitely was the turning point of the match for me. So, Suarez, Luis Sisto, the pistolero gets the man of the match other than Messi from myself. I think that's a good selection. And I think that's the first time you've given Suarez man of the match. And it was even in a match where he'd been called offside a few times. Yeah, I mean, but I think just his, you know, again, that pass to Rakitic was the turning point of the game. Because after that, like I said, the game was able to get wide open and we were able to score more goals and, and really just kill the game. So for me, you know, obviously those offsides before and just the way he was looking. But again, it's really all about the full 90 minutes, right? I mean, like I said, like your boy, Roberto, for me, played a really great first half. And he did play a good second half. But, you know, statistically, he didn't have a goal and assist. So for me, that Suarez just goes over the top with that for, for the match. Yeah, so that was my man of the match. Uh, Brian, who was your man of the match other than Messi? My man of the match other than Messi was the other player in that trio we've been talking about, Sergio Roberto. Uh, It's no secret that I have a crush on Sergio Roberto. He's my man. I love him and all that. But he had a really good game. He was really involved in just about everything good that happened in this match. And I have a couple of plays I want to highlight. There was the 25th minute give and go with Suarez. Again, him. Suarez and Messi, they were really running the forward action a lot of the time. But that give and go and a great run into the box, he had a shot and he missed it. So it was a missed opportunity, but a great play overall. And then he had another great run in the 31st minute again, dishing it to Suarez, back to Messi, who wound up with it at a really tough angle, and that shot went wide. So those were chances that happened in the first half because of Sergio Roberto and, of course, his involvement in the fifth goal. You know, we've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. It almost doesn't matter where Sergi plays. If you have him, you need to put him on the pitch, and he will do something. Yeah, I think it's a really good player to select. I mean, like I said, I think he had the best first half and overall just had a really great game. You know, statistically, he didn't have an assist or a goal, but still, he was really important. And again, you saw how many runs he had up the middle. Like, I tweeted it. Like, his runs going so direct up the middle in the first half, that really created chaos on the defense, and it was our only attacking plays in the first half. But it was all because of Sergio Roberto's ability to hold the ball and go at the defense. And as Messi's kind of weaving off, off of him, 
you know, we should have been able to score in the first half, but unfortunately we didn't. But again, Sergio Roberto just showing his flexibility and, of course, how important he is to the midfield. You know, I prefer him to play in the midfield. I wish, you know, maybe Val Green needs to put him on the left, you know, maybe instead of Andre Gomes, you know, put uh, Sergio Roberto, um, Busquets, Rakitic instead of Gomes and then have, um, you know, the the top I don't know. That's something. I mean, I, I think Sergio Roberto could do it. You know what I'm saying? He's the type of player that would be able to do it just because of his ability. But again, like we noted earlier with his contract extension and everything, he's he's an important player for the future of Barca. Yeah, and he's clearly on the road to being a midfield starter. I think this match was the confirmation that his transition to starting in the midfield is has begun. Right? It may take a little longer than we'd like. But the writing is on the wall, and you can see now how it's going to pay off. Exactly. And, you know, overall, just a really great result, especially bouncing back from the Espanol loss. And, again, we, we have the next week coming up at the, at the Camp Nou, so hopefully we'll get some more points and advance in the Copa del Rey. All right, so let's look ahead. Next week, we have two matches, right? We have Espanol midweek, second leg. Of course, we've talked about this a lot, you know, after the loss with... The experimental side in the first leg, I would say Valverde is going to almost certainly put the big guns on the pitch, top 11 available to him. And I would really like to see, as I've said many times, Semedo start in right back and Sergio Roberto playing either midfield or in the attacking line. I doubt he's going to do that because he hasn't been doing that or he hasn't been moving towards that. And in a situation where, you know, maybe now you want to compress the whole experimentation the whole laboratory vibe of it he's probably going to go with what he knows yeah it's a good point i mean i definitely think he's going to come out with a strong 11 but at the same time if he came out with the same lineup let's say at home i wouldn't have a problem with it just because this is the time to use it i mean you know we can't hide these players anymore they have to be in games that are of importance where there's consequences and see how they perform because let's see how dignate performs after having a bad two minutes you know what i'm saying like he didn't have a bad match but he didn't have a great match either let's see how he responds like i wouldn't i wouldn't be you know i wouldn't be mad if val green used digna again i want to see these players develop and as we've noted before this is the laboratory so why not take a chance again but i think val green's going to lean more towards the big guns yeah and you know last season when alba was injured dino was getting more playing time and when he strung together two three four appearances he actually started to look really good yeah he did and that's the other thing though like he made the mistake on the goal let's see how he reacts let's see how he plays let's see how mentally tough he is i mean these are the things you know you can't measure in practice you know, you're going to be able to see in the game, okay, he comes back, he plays well, we're like, okay, that's good. I mean, that's going to give him confidence going forward. Why should we try to hide his mistakes? You know, this is the this is the time to make them in a Copa del Rey match that has some consequences, as opposed to a Copa del Rey match in October where we know we're going to get through. Now, for me, the player to watch, the guy I want to keep an eye on most is Victor Sanchez. You know, the guy can pick a pass, he can play make, and if they don't shut him down, they're going to have to shut down all of his passing options because that's how they scored the goal on Wednesday was really letting Victor Sanchez pick his pass. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely a good player. My, I'm more concerned with what the manager of Espanol is going to do, especially, I mean, we saw they lost against Sevilla. What is he going to do against Barcelona when they're at the Camp Nou? Like, he can't play this physical style at the Camp Nou because they're going to get fouled, they're going to get yellow cards, and Espanol could have a man down. So I'm curious to see what type of tactics, formations that Espanol can come up with to try to get an away goal. Yeah, I don't know. I, I 
I'd be very curious to see how, how he handles that um, because I don't see how they're going to be able to do it. All right, now, of course, the other match is going to be in La Liga against Alaves. This is a home game at the Camp Nou. Alaves, you know, they took a loss in the Cup on Wednesday to Valencia, but the week before that, they pulled a win out against Sevilla. Overall, they've actually had a pretty rough season. They're sitting on the edge of the relegation zone if they aren't sitting right in it. So uh, you know, what can you say about Alaves? Yeah, they're having a rough season, especially last year since they lost their key player, Teo Hernandez, that we wanted to get. He was a playmaker. He was a difference maker. But again, they are not doing too well. They're just fighting for to stay for promotion, right, to stay in La Liga. For me, I think we should be able to handle them, especially at home. You know, this week we're at home. We don't have to travel, so that's going to be a really nice week for Barcelona that they can stay home, rest, play at the Camp Nou, and I just think this should be another victory. We should not struggle with Alaves at home. Absolutely, and I feel much better this year about saying things like, you know, we should win against this team, we should win against that team. Uh, Even when we're away this year, Valverde has shown like he knows how to handle the road games, but this is a home game and it should be uh, should be a success. Now, as far as a player to watch, for me, it has to be Munir. Since he's currently on loan from Barcelona, you know, he's actually been showing pretty well for Alaves this year. He's logged over 1,300 minutes of playing time. He scored three goals out of 31 shots, which is not a great ratio, but he's taken the shots. And, uh, you know, he's only one goal behind their top scorer, Ibai Gomez. And he also has four assists. With the, you know, with the recent signings we've taken in and that kind of performance, I don't think think there's any chance he'll be returning to Barcelona but I'm still going to be be watching him yeah for me too because just you know he's a Barca alum and he's gone through the system but again he you know he's another player that frustrates me because he had lots of opportunities at the senior team you know to play with Messi especially with injuries and I can't remember the season where he was getting a lot of minutes and he's unable to convert at a good ratio now I'm not asking for 10 goals out of 31 shots but you know, two more goals. I think that's 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 okay. You know, if he could get those goals, and again, that's just a really low ratio for me for being a forward and having all this potential that we've seen with Munier. So, again, I'm just interested to watch him. But I'm more interested to see how Barcelona attack Alaves, what type of lineup we're going to use, and I could see something like five nothing, six nothing. This is almost like a homecoming match for us. I think you know, a game that we could definitely get healthy against and really rack up some goals. Barza Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barzatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barzatalk.net to do that. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.